today's social media world and our abundance of information that's thrown our way, we can very easily get discouraged about the world around us. Sometimes we feel like there's so much hurt and sadness in the world, yet we get overwhelmed and we feel like the apocalypse is nigh. But the truth is, it's just not true. Yes, there are bad things in the world, but there is also so much good. There's so much room for good. There are so many people and businesses that are changing and impacting lives. And sometimes the space between a person's success or failure when it comes to doing good is just a matter of support or education or access to the right resources. The fact is we cannot change the world on our own. We were made to do it in community. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an all-around amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Kathleen Kelly Janis, an award-winning social entrepreneur, author, and lecturer at Stanford University, the Stanford. As an expert on philanthropy, millennial engagement, and scaling early-stage organizations, her work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Huffington Post, Stanford Social Innovation Review, TechCrunch, and the San Francisco Chronicle. She's the co-founder of Spark, the largest network of millennial donors in the world. Based in the heart of Silicon Valley, her book, Social Startup Success, features best practices for early-stage nonprofit organizations based on a five-year research project interviewing hundreds of top-performing social entrepreneurs. Kathleen is one of those people that I instantly felt smarter just by talking with her. But in all seriousness, her passion is infectious, and I loved our chat. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Kathleen. Hey, Kathleen. Welcome to the show. Hey, Molly. I am so excited to have you on the show. And I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be honest. I'm a little intimidated. You are like one of the smartest people I think of. (laughs) I was reading your bio and I was like, this girl is really smart. (laughs) (laughs) It's all an illusion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But really, I mean, you just have such an impressive resume and you have just done so many amazing things in your short life. And I, I mean, I'm just, I'm blown away by what you're doing. And so um, I want to just kick it off. We're just going to dive right in. So I'm going to have you do what all my guests do, and that's give us the Kathleen 101. So tell us your story, who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Yes. Okay. Well, I was born in a small town in Napa, California, and I was one of those kids who was dragged around on the weekends to soup kitchens and volunteering for the local hospitals. And my parents were just very, very involved in the community and served on dozens of boards over the years for nonprofits. And so from a very young age, I was exposed to how nonprofits operate and exposed to this idea that it's our duty to give back in the world, that this is what we do. And so the the conversations at our dinner table revolved around not just the people in our community who didn't have enough to eat, but the nonprofits themselves and whether they had the resources that they needed to survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that really led me to do the work that I'm doing today um, and to write my book, Social Startup Success, about how nonprofits succeed and can do the best with their resources. And so fast forward, when I, I went through college at Berkeley and law school, and when I was a young lawyer in San Francisco, I spent my days billing hours and I spent my nights co-founding an organization called Spark to engage my peers in gender equality issues. And I founded Spark because I was 
facing a real problem. I wanted to be involved in the community and didn't have organizations that I felt like I could could contribute to um, in ways that were meaningful. Um, and so the idea of Spark was how can we create a giving community where young people are valued for their contributions, even if they're giving $50 or $100 and not, you know, $100,000 mm-hmm. like so many organizations require. And so that was how Spark was born. And I, um, when we were starting Spark, we had a ton of buzz and we had lines around the block for our events and really hit this wall where we couldn't get the capital that we needed to grow. And so I became really curious, well, who are the organizations that are growing and what were they doing differently that we were not doing at Spark? And so that was what led me to do all the research that I did as a professor at Stanford and now um, release this book with my findings. That is incredible. Um, I would love for you to just kind of, I mean, you briefly touched on Spark and, and what Spark does and where you got the idea for it. But I'd love for you to really share, um, you know, how you got that started and, and what year did you start Spark? I remember reading it, but I, what year was mm-hmm. it? Yeah, so we started Spark in 2004. And right. it wasn't that I went out and said, I want to start an organization. Let's, let's figure out what organization I could start. And this is, I think in my research, one of, one of the biggest takeaways for me is that the best social entrepreneurs fall in love with the problem and not the solution itself. Mm. And so that was really what happened for us is we had this problem and I got together with several of my friends from college and we kept going to these events that were social events. I'm sure you've been to them and uh, they, you know, raise a lot of money and it's one night only. And it just felt like such a missed opportunity because so often you go to these nonprofit events, you barely hear anything about the nonprofit itself. Mm-hmm. Maybe you give some money that night, but you know, that's such a missed opportunity to harness that energy and get even more deeply involved in the cause. And so yeah. we thought, what if we start, uh, started a, a group that would allow people to not just give money, but to give their volunteer energies or give their minds and their skills as board members or volunteers um, and, and helped educate people on what it means to give back to your community. And so that was really how Spark was born. And again, it wasn't because we wanted to start an organization. We started by having one event for a group of women who were rebuilding their lives in the genocide uh, after the Rwandan genocide. Mm -hmm. And we had a cocktail party. We raised $5,000 for them. We had a line around the block. And we thought, wow, we're really onto something. People really want to learn. And, you know, the fact that we could combine genocide and cocktails is kind of a success in and of itself. It's like, wow, young people were selling them short by, you know, by not offering them these opportunities to have really hard conversations about some of the issues that our world is facing. Yeah. And so that has really been the MO of Spark ever since is how do you bring young people together to educate them about issues and create a space for them to give back in ways that are meeting them where they're at? Yes. And I love that this is an area that you are really targeting Millennials, and even though I, I'll be honest, I actually very much dislike the term millennial. I just I hate when we categorize generations, but it is what it is. So you know, we're just gonna, we'll just deal with it. Um, but I really I, I love that this is um, that this is something that you have a passion for of reaching this generation because so often I feel like 
um, people who are just before the millennial generation, then of course you get into the older generations, a lot of times really discredit that generation and and feel (laughs) like they're just a bunch of whiny, self-entitled brats who just feel like they need to have everything handed to them and that they have no work ethic. And you know, I'm sure that that is true in some cases, but let's be honest, that is true in every generation. Like every generation has whiny, self-entitled brats. Like let's just absolutely let's just keep it real. Um, but I am finding the more and more that I interact with the next generation, the younger younger generation, which I I am actually still personally in denial that I'm not a part of that generation. That I'm like, oh wait, <laughs> I'm, I'm like the youngest people in the room anymore. I know. I'm like, oh wait, I'm like married and like in my 30s with kids and yeah I'm like I the other day so I do a lot of this is like a quick digression I do a lot of um uh, I do freelance photography on the side and I I I shoot a lot of um seniors college seniors that's sort of my my specialty and I've been doing it for years but like I'm really now at the point where I'm like I just feel like Amy Poehler and Mean Girls where I'm like hey kids what's the 411 what's everyone up to like (laughs) No, you have to keep up with that. I just feel so, I feel so old. But, um, but back to my original point is just I, the more I hang out with this generation, um, and I've even interviewed um, some some founders of some amazing organizations who are, I mean, the founders, they're, they're kids. Um, I had Sydney Garrett yeah. on, who is 16 years old. She's the founder of Be the Change Youth, Youth Initiative. And Shane Feldman, who is the founder of Count Me In. And he's 23 years old, and he started Count Me In you know, pretty much when he was in high school. And oh, wow. I, I love talking to these young entrepreneurs who are in the social entrepreneur space. They care. And the more I talk with them and then uh, again, you know, college students and high school students, I just am, I'm so encouraged because I'm like, this generation cares and they are engaged and they have access to resources that we did not have when we were in high school. It's absolutely true. I mean, we are living in a philanthropic renaissance. There are more ways to get involved in making this world a better place than ever before. And a huge part of that is being driven by the next generation. 85% of millennials now ask a company what their social cause is before getting involved and before taking that job. And so that is forcing companies to develop social impact programs from the very start so that they can engage their employees and hire and retain them. And so this is really shifting the way that we think about the role of business in the social sector. And I believe that we are moving toward a society where there will be no difference between entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship, Mm. that all entrepreneurship will be in pursuit of the greater good. And that is, I think, a really exciting world that I want to be a part of. That's incredible. And as much work as I do in this space, I could not have told you that 85% of millennials ask companies what their social impact is. That's incredible. Mm It is. And I see this with my students at Stanford. I feel like when I was going to college, it was like either you were on this nonprofit track or you were on a corporate track to go to a corporate law firm. And young people no longer see those divisions in the same way. And they are looking for ways to make social impact uh, in even the for-profit sector. And I think that this is really shifting the way that we think about the role of business. That is amazing. And that it continues to encourage me in so many different ways because 
I mean, that's that's where my heart lies. And, you know, I am the, the crazy person who, uh, you know, emails companies and asks them about their supply chains. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm that person and I'm OK with it. Uh, and but to know that there is a group of people who are doing the same thing, um, you know, and I. You know, I reach out even to the big companies. and I love seeing that companies like Target now are mm-hmm. even have, you know, an entire section on their website dedicated to their corporate social responsibility and talking about all the ways that they're giving back in their community, the ways that Target is cleaning up their supply chain. They're not perfect yep. yet, but they are working at it and they are being very transparent in that. And um, I love seeing these big companies that are doing that because it's it it sets a standard and eventually other companies will have to follow suit because the more and more people that are that wise up and see mm-hmm. the realities of the garment industry or they see the realities of um you know forced labor or cheap labor you know the more and more that we talk about these issues you know, this next generation, like they're not going to buy from Walmart knowing that, you know, that they're using slave labor, like they're not going to do it. And absolutely. So it just, it fires me up to know that, that, that these kids are really, they care. Um, And I shouldn't even call them kids. These young adults are these, these youths, (laughs) the two youths. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's employee driven and it's also very much consumer driven. And I think that that's going to be a really um, important combination. Yeah. And, and the more especially engaged that everybody gets, you know, with politics and things like that. And, and, you know, people say like, oh, well, my vote doesn't matter. And and I just say, you know what, the truth is, is that you vote every single day by the way you spend your money. Every single day you are voting for the kind of world you want to live in, for the kind of companies you want to support, um, for the kind of businesses that you want to see thrive. You're voting by the way you spend your money. And so, um, yeah, that's just it's something I feel like I preach all the time. Um, So true. And it's not only how you spend your money. It's also how you spend your time. Yes. Like my parents growing up chose to spend a good percent of their time supporting nonprofits. And we can all do that no matter what line of work we're in. Nonprofits can use our support, whether it is, you know, helping them by serving on their board of directors, being an accountant to help them with their books, helping them to organize a fundraiser so that they can raise money. I mean, there's so many ways to get involved and we can all be more supportive in that effort. Yeah. Yeah. I've served on the board for quite a few organizations as well. Um, And it's funny because my parents also very much instilled that in me. So that just reinforces like hearing that from you, you know, and knowing that that's something that my parents instilled in me, it just reinforces my drive to talk about these things with my kids. Um, And it's Mm -hmm. something I try to do with my kids, even at a very young age. You know, it just continues to motivate me to to do that more. Um, Yep. They understand a lot more than we give them credit for. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And you can you can explain even really tough things like human trafficking and and, you know, and and slave labor on a kid's level. It's not like you have to go into the very graphic details, but you can talk about the realities of of that other kids face. You don't have to have the conversation of like there are starving kids in Africa. Eat your dinner. Like that's not that's not what it looks like. It's just like. You know, when I've been to Kenya, I come back and I show my daughter the pictures um, and mm-hmm. I say, like, yes, this is where my friend, you know, this is where my friend lives. And, and this is how um, this beautiful child lives. And this is what they play with. And just she can see the differences and she asks questions and we talk about those things. Yeah. Um, and it's absolutely. not. Yeah. It's not glorifying poverty. It's not painting this picture. It's just let's talk about the realities of the way other people live and how can we 
support them? How can we, you know, spend time supporting organizations that are working to to bring access to education to little girls in Kenya mm-hmm. or the Middle East or things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, they can get involved from a very young yeah. age in helping to support nonprofits. My daughter is six and she has a class project to raise money for Heifer and International oh, where yeah. they're buying a goat. Um, to help a family who can really benefit from having a goat and can earn income from mm-hmm. that goat. And so as a class, they're raising $120. So she had a lemonade stand and she raised <laughs> a lot of money That's on her block um, because she was doing it for charity. And so I think it was a really great teaching moment for her to see that a lot of people will get involved if you tell them about the p- causes that you're passionate about. I have I, a little buddy fundraiser. <laughs> I love it. That is so cool. I know you're loving this conversation with Kathleen, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Causebox, who is able to help make the show possible. As you know, Causebox is my favorite ethical subscription box. I've been a subscriber for over two and a half years. How it works is each season, a new box is filled with everything from accessories and home goods to the best in skincare and wellness products that are not only amazing, but they are also doing the most good. And each box delivers incredible value with a guarantee of over $150 worth of products for only $54.95. Or if you use the coupon code MOLLY, you get $15 off. Now, the products are not just beautiful, they are also useful. The summer box is here, and I am just flipping out over what's inside. The Turkish towel is incredible. The water bottle is so functional. The clutch from Tribe Alive is to die for. Everything is amazing. This particular summer box is filled with over $300 worth of ethical and fair trade goods. I'm in love. This box is going to sell out, so you're going to want to get on it quick. So to reserve your summer cause box, go to stillbeingmolly.com slash cause box and use the coupon code MOLLY for $15 off. Now back to my conversation with Kathleen. You mentioned you go to these fundraising events or these nonprofit events and and the focus this whole time is like on raising this money and then you like hear nothing about the organization. I remember, um, I will not name the organization. It's a small nonprofit here in um, North Central North Carolina and I was hired to, to photograph the event and so I brought my husband with me um, to, to help me and kind of be my like my assistant the, throughout the evening and <laughs> This, I mean, I really knew nothing about the organization before I went, um, and I. But you know, they kind of gave me like this thirty-six thousand foot synopsis. You know, mm-hmm. obviously when they were hiring me, and I went there, and I remember like people were just shelling out money, and the more I heard about the organization, I was like, "What? Like, what is uh. this? Like, what? <laughs> people are giving money to what? Like, I was just, again, I won't go too much into it, but it just, it was, it, it reminded me of the importance of like, let's talk about the real issues and not just like mm-hmm. the fluff things to raise money I just yep. yeah it just it put a really bad taste in my mouth actually about the organization and and I am involved in so many other nonprofits that I've kind of used that as a as a jumping off point for when we host events because I just be like let's not do that um, and mm-hmm. how can we actually you know share the stories of the people we're working with and how can we share the successes how can we talk about the struggles and how can we really focus on educating people who are giving, you know, a little or giving a lot on what their money is really going towards and why yep. this is something they should invest in. And so so often I feel like that gets lost. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the five findings in, in my research that I talk about in social startup success is storytelling, because you cannot build a movement if you cannot tell mm-hmm. a good story. And I think this is where a lot of organizations go wrong, either by essentializing the problem and not really getting into the specifics, kind of like what you are um, what you were inferring with that organization, um, or, you know, just not really capitalizing on the passion and the personal connection that they might have to this cause. And I think there's this, there's this research that, um, Andy Goodman, uh, who focuses on nonprofit storytelling talks about, he says that, you know, why do, bad presentations happen to good nonprofits. And I think that's a great (laughs) example of what happens all the time. And the best nonprofits get out there and they not only, you know, tell a good story, but they prioritize that practice uh, not at every single level, not just at the leadership level, but uh, throughout their staff for beneficiaries, board members, and, and, and champions in the community because they realize that if they want to build an effective organization, everyone has to be telling a good story on their behalf. That's a great, great point. Um, and I'd love for you to kind of touch on, because I know that this is something that you, this has to be something that you ran into in your research, is, is how do you balance as a nonprofit? How do you balance, and this is especially true of organizations that potentially that work in vulnerable communities. Um, mm-hmm. How do you balance telling a good story while not exploiting the stories of the people you're working with? Yeah, it's a it's a fine line, and I think I talk about this quite a bit in social startup success because there are organizations that do this really well, mm-hmm. and I think what you have to do is to really focus on finding the communities that uh, are ready to tell their stories. So yeah. in the book, I tell a story of a nonprofit that works with uh, helping people get through rehab and you know they had someone speak at one of their events who wasn't really quite far past the rehab process and there was alcohol there and it was you know it turned out to be a process that opened a lot of wounds for him because Mm -hmm. he was in a room where people were raising a lot of money that he wasn't necessarily exposed to so there's a lot of dangers in that kind of involving beneficiaries in the storytelling process that can really be harmful um, as opposed to empowering and so figuring out ways to both screen for the right people to get up and tell their stories, as well as helping to empower them through that process. So making sure that they are not vulnerable to um, reopening the wounds that might have gotten them through that program in the first place, Um, helping them to figure out what parts of their story to tell. I mean, Tipping Point is a great example in San Francisco. They are an anti-poverty organization that works with nonprofits and every year at their gala, they depend on these nonprofit beneficiaries to get up and tell their stories to raise millions and millions of dollars. This year they hope to raise $17 million in one night. Mm. And so it's critical that they provide those beneficiaries with the story that they need to get up and tell. And so they actually help them with training um, and, and give them that opportunity to learn how to get up and tell a speech in front of a huge crowd of donors that is a skill that they can then take with them for life. So I think that's an example of 
a way to do it in, in, in a way that is empowering as opposed to debilitating. Yeah. And that I'm so glad that this is an area that you have touched on and that you've focused on because it is so important and it can make or break an organization in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I think this also applies to for-profit companies that maybe have um, like a give back or purposeful component. Um, especially This is especially true in sort of like the fair trade and ethical production or ethical product space, whether it's clothing or accessories or shoes or home goods, maybe that are made, you know, by artisan groups in a vulnerable community. Um, you know, it's something that we, we talk about a lot of how do you you share the stories of your artisans in an empowering way versus an exploiting way. And, um, you know, especially if you're talking about working um, maybe with trafficking victims, um, you know, former mm-hmm. uh, women or men who are uh, overcomers of survival prostitution, things like that. Mm-hmm. Like you also have to protect their identity and mm-hmm. um you know, so how do you tell their story while also protecting their identity and make it more kind of general and just say, you know, we have to change the name for the protection of this person's safety, things like that. Um, you know, these are real important things to consider as an organization, whether it be a for-profit or a nonprofit that is working with these types of um, communities. Absolutely. So I, I also would like to, for you to kind of go back a little bit and explain. So you you founded Spark in 2004, um, and, and this was something that you really wanted to provide a way for um, especially young people to get involved um, with, the, with their community and, and feel mm-hmm. like they could contribute. So how exactly does it work? And, and how do you, um, how does it work from both like a logistical standpoint? And how does it work from a business standpoint? Like how do you make money as a business? Yeah, well, one of the um, challenges with running an organization that is supporting donors is that it's harder to get philanthropic capital um, because uh, funders are are saying, well, why do you need our support if you have a bunch of donors who can give you money? And so we actually, out of necessity and also out of opportunity, uh, developed our model around membership. And so we started by just charging $50 a year. And we, you know, we said, you pay for your gym. Why wouldn't you pay for, you know, the equivalent of your, you know, nonprofit gym that helps you kind of find community and give you ideas for how to give back philanthropically. And so people pay into their membership on a sliding scale, starting at $50 all the way up to thousands of dollars, depending on what they can afford. And then that buys them into the community, which uh, gives them the chance to meet other members who are like-minded to learn from educational events, to be a part of our investment committee um, so that they can help participate in deciding where our collective grant making goes, um, as well as help solicit ideas for nominations for potential organizations that Spark supports. And so our members can get involved in any number of ways. And I'll give you an example. We supported an organization called Akili Dada, which is an education organization based in Kenya. Um, And it was a small organization. So our collective money was able to have a big impact on these scholarships that they were giving to girls. But our Spark donations didn't end at the $5,000 grant that we gave for their school scholarships. We helped, for example, find one of our Spark members who was able to get them all up on QuickBooks because the organization wasn't really (laughs) able to to, – 
find that expertise internally. And so we were able to find one of our members to step up and do that for them. We had uh, members who decided spontaneously that they wanted to host fundraisers for Achille Dada. So that helped raise even more money on their behalf. And we had the founder come speak to our members here in San Francisco and give that personal connection for where the money was going. And so this is an example of kind of how the holistic approach to giving helps deepen our members' philanthropic journey very early on. And the idea is that if you can cultivate this sense of giving back and give people the tools for how to be philanthropists in their 20s and 30s, that these are skills that they will take with them throughout life because we believe that philanthropy is something that starts now. It's not something yeah. that happens, you know, much later in life when if you're lucky to have some extra pennies to <laughs> to give. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love the the structure of it and just the the focus of it and the goal of it. And um I just I think it's I think like I said, I think it's incredible what you're doing and um, I'm just so grateful for you sharing your story and, and for all that you do, um, and especially like, I mean, you know, as a professor at Stanford and and just the way that you've given back in so many other ways, um, you're just leaving an incredible legacy. So I just have to say kudos to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I'd love for you to just kind of briefly share uh, where people can find you, um, mm-hmm. you know, and how they can get your book, Social Startup Success and all of that. Yeah, so you can find me online at KathleenJanis.com, and you can find Social Startup Success at any local retailer or online bookseller. And uh, I have a ton of resources on my website that you can access as well, including an evaluation toolkit um, and various blog posts with ideas for how you can get involved in social causes. That is amazing. And I will have all of that information in the show notes for the listeners. Um, But this is actually my favorite part of the show where we get to transition a little bit and I get to ask you just some fun questions. Um, And this is also the portion of the show where my husband, who is my amazing executive producer, as I title him, um, where he gets to insert a sound effect of his choosing to transition us to the get to know you round. So, Oh, boy. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Kathleen, are you ready? I am ready. We just had an amazing fundraiser for Hoop. Oop. My anti-circumcision movement. Hmm. Believe it or not, we brought in over $40,000. Unbelievable. <laughs> Sounds like you saved enough skin to make 10 new boys. So my first question is, what is your guilty pleasure? Oh, sometimes I watch Entertainment Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I haven't watched it in years, but I definitely watched it uh, like in, in high school and early college for sure. Sometimes you need something mindless. Yes. Mine, <laughs> mine is The Bachelor and Bachelorette, so I completely, <laughs> completely. It's going really deep in the gutter. Yeah, yeah. My <laughs> husband will just like be like, "Why do you watch this?" I'm like, "I don't know, but I've been watching it for years. Like, I can't stop." <laughs> uh, I am not past that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, the second question is, what is the first career you dreamed of having as a kid? I thought I was going to be a doctor and then I took honors chemistry and my (laughs) dreams disappeared. (laughs) Did you want to be a specific kind of doctor or? I was interested in helping families, but I've found other ways to help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I completely understand. Um, What is a dream that you have always had that you have yet to achieve? Mm, To raise really incredible children that 
give back to society. Mm, That's a good one. That is a good one. Um, And my last question for you is, for what are you most grateful for today? I am most grateful to be able to do the work that I care about because I know that this is a luxury and a privilege and I hope that I can use this luxury and privilege to give back in more ways than I ever imagined. That is awesome and I love it. Uh, gosh, Kathleen, you are so inspiring and I am just so, like I said, I'm so appreciative for you for coming on the show and sharing um, a little bit more about you and your story and um, everything that you're doing. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks, Molly. This chat with Kathleen was just another reminder of how much I love the next generation and how excited I am to see it continue to grow and impact and change the world. Another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Causebox. Don't forget, reserve your summer Causebox now before it sells out. Go to stillbeingmolly.com slash Causebox and use that coupon code MOLLY for $15 off. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcasting app is, and make sure you're subscribed. Clicking the subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And while you're there, would you mind just taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. And don't forget, if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag businesswithpurposepodcast or tag me at stillbeingmolly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. Purpose.